Haunted House, Haunted Mind. Episode 3. Here's the story so far. I am haunted by a ghost in the Rocky Mountains. I sell the house and move my family to the West Coast. Three years later, and thousands of kilometers away, I experience and feel the ghost again. In a neuroscience lab. Fear. I've known this fear before. When I was living in my mountain home in Canmore. Oh, that's interesting. A... Brief flashes of white light. A muted soapstone color. Smudges. Almost like a... Really, mere shadows. Um, I'm, I'm r- r- rushing and um, shaking there. It's about here the dreadful feeling begins anew. Woo! Um, a rush of um, cold. Woo! And and also uh, visual effects, uh, like a, it was a pulse of a kind of a um, green light. My shoulders are very tense up to my Panic, ears right now. Discomfort, just, uh, and twitching, and lapses of focus. Th- this is close to the experience I had in the house. Right, what happened just this last that. Right, yeah. Well, well, I was definitely seeing eyes there. Very fearful. Definite visual effects. Don't stop this. This, this is uh, getting close to the apparition I saw. Haunted House, Haunted Mind. Episode 3. It's 1997. I'm speaking with the neuroscientist, Michael Persinger. When you asked to be in this experiment, after you had explained it to me, I realized that you were on a quest. You were a scientist, a scientist at large. And so consequently, after the appropriate precautions were taken, uh, we agreed to uh, allow you to go through the experiment. Dr. Persinger and his assistant are putting a modified motorcycle helmet over my head. It contains a piece of electronic gear that stimulates the brain's temporal lobes with subtle pulsed patterns of electromagnetic fields, EMF. The octopus, as it's called, because of all the wire coming out of the back of it, can invoke an altered state of consciousness. Diary. Second session. Afternoon. August 29th, 1997. You know, oh, there's something definitely from the left. You know what? what? It is a circular object from the left, right above my left. Okay. Continue to describe, okay? It's, it's disappeared. Oh, no, it's back again. Yeah. During this it's session, actually... I traveled through a series of emotions, felt strange physical effects, puzzling shifts in mood. I could feel the space, hallucinations, a very odd landscape. Okay, there's um, sh- uh, sh- sh- shadows of um, uh, kind of eyes again, Just, but they were just... Okay, there's a there's feeling of pressure, like somebody slightly pushing on my eyes, just for, that was just there from a very... Hands are... Clowny. Uh, Don? Yeah? The uh, sequence is over, we'll be coming in, just relax. Diary. Later. Persinger told me his assistant came into the sound isolation chamber. She said I was white as a ghost. Persinger said he terminated the first session of the experiment after I went into a mild panic, even though I wanted to go on. 
It wouldn't have been ethical to continue, he said. Overall, I felt as if time had passed more quickly during this session. It was also kind of fun in spots, a departure from the first session, which replicated the terror I felt in the Rockies. You're in the chamber. We stimulated your brain with complex magnetic fields that contained very significant neural information, and you experienced a ghost, fear, and all types of other profound experiences. But you see, we were the ghost. We generated it. We created it by applying that technology through your brain. The intensity of electromagnetic fields generated by Persinger's device is little more than that of a hairdryer. It's the kind of field that counts, not the intensity. The brain is slowly and continuously aroused to a perturbation point, kind of like great sex. The subtle pulsations magnify feelings, provide an emotional tag, and amplify the brain's own experiences. Okay, um, if there is a, a light coming out from underneath the visual field, yeah, right there on the right. Again, the mirror, uh, there's right... My eyes are wide open. I'm seeing other eyes again, uh, a pair of eyes looking at me and approaching me and getting closer. Yeah, taking on very definite form or... The types of experiences that we generate are a function of which side of the brain to which the stimuli are applied. And that's totally predictable because there are subtle structural differences between the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere of the human brain. And if we are affecting these subtle structural changes and these subtle structural activities, we would expect to find differences. Because the left hemisphere is tied to language and the sense of self, if we stimulate that, we can get the kind of first-person experience and meaningfulness. But if we stimulate the right side of the brain, we can get the right hemispheric equivalent of the sense of self, which is the sensed presence, the sensation that another entity is beside you. That other entity, of course, is your right hemispheric equivalent of your sense of self. So that explains my ghost in the Rockies. Or does it? Charles Tart is a psychologist and professor emeritus at the University of California at Davis. He's been following the work of Michael Persinger and his lab. Well, you went into that laboratory with an expectation, a very strong expectation that this would cast light on the experience you'd had in that house. Now, I don't know how much the actual laboratory procedure affected your brain. It might have done it a little bit, it might have done it a lot, but you then went on, or you went in with this strong psychological set to then shape things. So it's quite possible that what happened in the laboratory to you produced some genuine effects in your brain, but what those were is very hard to separate out from the construction you then made out of it because of your expectations. I don't think it's a delusion, because after all, if you have a similar experience, but you know that it was induced, under conditions where it makes sense neurologically, and we don't really have mechanisms yet underneath it, but, but the kind of proto-mechanisms, well, then it makes a lot of sense. Dean Radin. He's the author of The Conscious Universe, The Scientific Truth of Psychic Phenomena. Dr. Radin has investigated the wild frontier of science for AT&T, Princeton's Department of Psychology, the University of Edinburgh, SRI International, and the U.S. government. You don't have these feelings just randomly every third day, but only in certain locations and only in certain laboratory contexts. Well, 
that's the beginning of understanding. I mean, it, it, it makes sense. There's a definite uh, feeling in the pit of my stomach. As if something very, very bad happened to me, and I'm just sort of going, yeah. I know that feeling, too, only once before. It's just been, uh... About 15 minutes into the application, you were beginning to have electrical signatures, which told us that the deep portions of your thalamus and amygdala hippocampal regions were beginning to send direct information into the cortex because we were picking it up on an electroencephalogram. Electroencephalographic activity primarily measures only the cerebral cortical activity, not the deep regions of the brain unless that information gets to the cortex. Dr. Michael Persinger. Every time you begin to have a rush or a chill, there was a very clear signature showing up over the temporal lobe and to some extent generalized to the other areas, which tells me there's a subcortical source. Once those rushes became more intense, you became more fearful. You began to feel the presence, you began to feel the activation, which is typical of anxiety, because we began to stimulate the right hemisphere. Charles Tart. I'm not doubting that the electromagnetic stimulation had some effects on your brain, but the big question of how you interpreted that still remains primarily a psychological question. I mean, let's face it, our culture, or, and I speak of our whole Western culture now, does not encourage people to be aware of what we might call the supernatural or the psychic or the spiritual. It encourages them to repress it. It tells them this sort of thing doesn't happen, it shouldn't happen. If it does happen, it probably means you're crazy. So naturally, people are going to suppress being aware of these experiences. They're going to happen less often to people because there's a psychological pressure to hold them down. And if they do happen, they're going to be explained away in ordinary terms, even if that's really stretching ordinary explanations. You know, oh, I must have been ill, you know, so that, you know, it must have been the medicine I was taking. We have all sorts of preferred explanation systems to make the spiritual side of things go away. Diary. Vancouver. You think too much, cautioned Anla, a Tibetan nun. She makes a good point, as does Lama Calden. I asked him whether I live too much upstairs in my head. He agreed, in a pleasant way as always. Intellect gets in the way of clear thinking. I am obsessed with coming to terms with her haunted house in the Rockies. Persinger's octopus told me the apparition under the house, the knockings, those feelings of terror, and the general oppressive atmosphere about the place, all of it, was likely conjured in my head. I can accept that. The device was plugged into a computer, and me into it. But what it didn't explain was exactly where those subtle energies in the Rockies, the electromagnetic fields which affected my temporal lobes, were coming from. Your account is extraordinary in uh, the ex normal, everyday experience of most people. But when you've been uh, exploring these areas for many years, as I have, it's pretty standard, as a matter of fact. And the idea Paul Devereaux heads the Dragon Project Trust, a worldwide team of scientists who study claims of unusual energies at prehistoric sites. He's also the author of 20 books on the subject. We're talking in New York's Central Park. So you, it probably goes back also to Chinese traditions like feng shui, of sighting places, tombs, uh, homes, habitations, and the house you had in the Rockies was obviously sighted to what 
a Chinese geoman were called bad feng shui because uh, there were geophysical conditions there that uh, could produce mood changes, affect your consciousness, or could even manifest geophysical light forms. Paul Devereaux has a theory of earthlights. It complements Michael Persinger's tectonic strain theory, TST. Persinger correlated reports of luminous events over many, many years and found the lights in the sky and related phenomena clustered along earthquake faults. It persuaded him to theorize that tectonic strain was creating the conditions in the earth to release anomalous balls of light on the surface. This has been demonstrated when you put quartz, for instance, under great pressure. When it finally gives and explodes, a burst of light manifests. Electromagnetic radiation, too. And it's important to realize that there is an interface between these two phenomena. In very, very active so-called haunt areas, it's not unusual to see small balls of light and luminous displays, which are often, if they're intense enough, confused with and become a part of the UFO mythology. EM radiation and a lot of other forms of radiation can account for a certain subset of the reports we get. Michael Stranick investigates UFO sightings for MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network. He lives in Vancouver. I know a researcher in Oregon, Greg Long, has done extensive research on uh, orange balls of light, which are probably the byproduct of EM radiation from the tectonic strain. And these can be seen as balls of light, which actually appear to have intelligence behind them. They will follow the terrain and so forth. This may account for some UFO reports. It's as least as likely that aliens are visiting Earth as it is that electromagnetic fields are creating UFOs. Chris Rutkowski. He's in the Extension Department at the University of Manitoba. A former professor of astronomy, he's also a keen investigator of UFO lore. When I hear of somebody saying that uh, they were visited in their bedrooms last night by uh, uh, an alien who wanted to abduct them, uh, there's no question that they had a real experience. But the question is, what really happened? The uh, temporal uh, lobe possibility is another viable explanation. So I think that the TST and EMF are certainly possible theories, but in order to embrace them, I think we have to go through a long process before we can do that. There's that lots of twitching that's in coming up, coming and going, and there's there's like a it's like I want to see something. That's not in focus or whatever. It, it's comes and goes. It's just like a desire there. Diary. If an unidentified flying object landed in your midst and it didn't match your concept of what a flying saucer was supposed to look like, would you see it? Could you? I think there may be a problem if there is something that goes radically against what we assume things are supposed to look like. We will reinterpret them. That's what the brain does most of the time, tries to make sense out of chaos. Would we see it or could we see it? I think that's the question. Maybe some things are just beyond our perceptual ability. Diary. Landscapes are inhabited, even when they're empty. Is it possible to know the extraordinary by the shadow it casts? Diary. Las Vegas. Met with Dean Radin at his home. Soft-spoken, very articulate man. Looks kind of fragile. 
a stiff wind off the desert might have an unfortunate effect. There's the possibility that some of the hallucinations and illusions associated with, with apparitional experience are probably related to the brain's purpose, in a sense, which is to create a stable reality. And if something compromises the brain's ability to do that, either through sleep deprivation or drugs or who knows what, the capability of being able to create that stable image will just begin to decline. So the, the metaphor here is uh, the computer HAL from the movie 2001. And as we saw, when the memory of HAL was being pulled out, HAL's ability to speak and to reason and do everything else began to decline as well. And so something like that is probably occurring because it's no coincidence that most apparitions, the vast majority of apparitions, are seen around 3 o'clock in the morning, either in the process of waking up or going to sleep or suddenly waking up, but a non-ordinary state. In which case you can say that the, the model of reality being created by the brain at that time is no longer the ordinary state. It's not the ordinary model either. In which case you're not dealing with ordinary reality, at least the way that you perceive it. So my state was similar to Hal's, the computer in the movie 2001. Stuff was taken away. Or put in. In other words, just that the environment had changed from its normal operating procedure and, and context. And anything which changes the environment, whether it's adding or subtracting or good or bad or who knows what, all of it will change the way that you perceive uh, the world around you. That doesn't necessarily mean that what you're perceiving is illusionary in the sense of not objectively real, but it does suggest that uh, a large part of the affect associated with it, the feelings of profound meaning and awe and fear and all of the emotional stuff, is very likely to, to be an, an illusion as well. But you can see that this often happens in psychic experience, that somebody will have a vision or see a ghost or something, and the meaning associated with that is absolutely unbelievable and can change their life. But the question is, if they're getting a visual illusion, could there not also be an emotional illusion? And the answer is very likely. Haunted House, Haunted Mind, Part 3. There's two more episodes. Please tell your friends. Post a link to the show, canmoreghost.ca. That's canmoreghost, all one word, dot ca. And when you visit the website, have a look at the ebook chapters that you can download. It's the backstory with new information, new stories that updates the series I first presented on mainstream media in the 1990s. Haunted House, Haunted Mind is an appropriate entertainment production. I'm Don Hill. Until the next time, keep this in mind. The supernatural is science that has yet to be assigned a measurement. <laughs> <laughs>